Father, we thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We lift our hearts to you. We pray that you would just uh, deal with our hearts, open our eyes, and teach us this morning about just the millennial, the temple, and all that we're looking at, Lord. And Father, you would be honoring all things, that we would be looking for your return, that we'd be occupying till you come. We'd be that light, we'd be that salt to those around us, Lord. Although you have forgiven us and we're saved, Lord, there are others that are so lost. And so we lift our nation to you and those around us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You have a Bible. Why don't you turn to Zephaniah chapter 2, please. Zephaniah chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 11. The message is entitled, Worship in the Kingdom Age. J. Barton Payne, in his Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, a complete guide of scriptural predictions and their fulfillment, says the following about the book of Zephaniah. Quote, The most thoroughly predictive book in the Bible is Zephaniah. It has three short chapters, but out of the total of 53 verses, 47 prophecies about matters that were yet future at the time of their writing, and they make up 89% of the whole of the book. They are distributed among 20 separate predictions, though almost half of these verses concern the event of Jerusalem's fall by Babylon in 586 B.C. Quite a statement for this little book. One of these golden nuggets is a future prophecy about the worship of Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. Listen to verse 11, our text. The Lord will be awesome to them. For he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place. Indeed, all the shores of the nations. Now, the context of the second division of Zephaniah is the judgment of some of these Gentile nations for their hatred and opposition to the nation of Israel. And they're found in verse 4 to 15 of chapter 2. The Philistines, 4 through 7, Moabite and Ammonites, 8 through 11, the Ethiopians in 12, the Assyrians 13 through 15. And there are various lists like this about the nations, their judgment in Jeremiah 45 through 51, Ezekiel 25 through 32. And you remember the book of Amos chapter 1 and 2. So it's not a strange thing. The context of this first part of verse 11, look at it. It's directed short term or the near fulfillment of judgment to the idolatrous worship of Moab and Ammon. Listen to the words, the first part of 11. The Lord will be awesome to them. In other words, put fear in them. For he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. So this first part is a short term that he's dealing with Ammon and Moab that hate Israel or Judah really at this point. But Judah is going to go into captivity, the short term. But the context of the second part is what we want to focus on here, verse 11. It is directed to the long term or the far fulfillment of all the Gentiles to worship Jesus during the millennial kingdom. Listen to the words. People shall worship him, each one from his place. Indeed, all the shores of the nations. The word shores is translated isle or isles plural 30 times. Islands five times and country one time in the old King James. The shores in our new King James here clearly indicates all the nations of the Gentiles that will worship Jesus during the kingdom age in Jerusalem. Little nuggets. But it's not just this alone. We're going to verify and see the evidence throughout the scriptures also. 
Now, some do not believe that there will be a thousand-year kingdom on earth. They're called amillennialists. Millennial is a thousand. Anytime you put an A in front of a Greek word, it negates it. Theo, God. Atheo, oh, no God. Millennial, thousand. Amillennial, no thousand years. And yet, the amount of material in the scriptures about the future millennial kingdom is said to be larger than all other subjects, Dwight Pentecost tells us. And if you were with us in our series of the millennial um, kingdom, uh, we went for weeks on it, the different things. Now, the context of the text being the worship of Jesus during the kingdom age, we're going to use our text only as the propositional truth of that fact. That there will be a thousand year reign as the worship of Jesus. That, and we're going to build on that. And we want to substantiate this truth by the biblical evidence about the millennial worship of Jesus through three things. First, we want to look at the temple of the millennium. Second, the sacrifice of the millennium. And then the covenant of the millennium. And there's going to be a diagram up here to show you because I'm going to go through the temple and show you some things, okay? We'll put it up right now. So let's begin here with the temple of the millennium. Now, there are various views about the temple. Ezekiel gives us a full description of the temple in Ezekiel chapter 40 from verse 1 to chapter 46, verse 24. So you can literally say from chapter 40 to 48, that's all millennial material, okay? That's the context. Now, some say Ezekiel is describing the temple prior to Babylon captivity. But the description of Solomon's temple in Kings and Chronicles refused this. It can't be. There are others who say Ezekiel is describing the temple after the 70-year um, captivity. But the record, when it's compared, is rejected. Book of Ezra, Nehemiah. The young men were rejoicing over what they saw, but the only were weeping because they had no glory compared to Solomon's. And still others, that Ezekiel is describing the ideal temple that should have been built after the seven-year captivity, yet this would destroy the nature of prophecy if it was never fulfilled. You can't. And then there are those who say Ezekiel is describing the temple symbolically of the spiritual blessings of the church in the present age. But this is violence to the interpretation of Scripture and prophecy, spiritualizing and allegorizing the text giving it a subjective interpretation. You can't do that. It's impossible. And then there are those who believe that Ezekiel is describing the temple that will be built and exist during the millennial kingdom. I believe this is the accurate interpretation of the context of Ezekiel 40 to 48. I believe this is the correct interpretation and one of the prominent characteristics of the millennial temple is the presence of the Shekinah glory that Ezekiel saw leave the temple um, prior to the captivity. This temple cannot be mistaken with any other temple in history regarding Israel. It's impossible. And it shouldn't be confused with the one that the Antichrist is going to build in Second Thessalonians 2. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew twenty four fifteen. When you see abomination, desolation spoken by down the prophet, flee to the wilderness to Israel. Can't mistake Listen to Merrill Unger, a great commentator of the past. He declared, Ezekiel's temple is a literal future sanctuary to, the constructed, uh, to be constructed in Palestine as outlined during the millennium. Now, 
the details of the temple are literal. As you look at the, the temple up there and everything, the temple is an enclosed area, as you can see completely around. There's a wall completely around it there. The outer court is where the people gather. So you're going to look at the whole thing going inside. So when you have the one upstairs to the left, that's the whole temple. And then that's the gates at large. And that's the inner sanctuary in the middle. So you get an idea of it, okay? And the gates, the different compartments. Now, the Shekinah glory enters the temple through the eastern gate. Ezekiel 43, 1 through 6 tells us, okay? Now, there's also an eastern gate. Some of you were over in Israel with us. Here I am standing on the Temple Mount. I'm not the Temple Mount. I'm Mount of Olives. Kidron Valley goes down. Over that wall is the temple in Jerusalem, okay? The east gate's over there by that door. Many people say, well, that's the one that Jesus is going to walk in down. No, that, that's an Ottoman temple gate. The real temple of Jesus' day is down lower. But the one he walks through, him and David, is the one in the millennial temple. Not that one. Completely on, off context. Okay? And even the Arabs have put a, 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 um, a burial site there with some tombs because, of course, you know, that makes it unclean to stop Jesus from walking through. How foolish. That's not even it. Those are Ottoman walls. They're, they're down below the real walls. Now, the gates on the north and the south side have seven steps. There is no gate on the west. Notice that. The gates have six small chambers, three on each side. And around the outer court are 30 chambers. As you can see, the squares all the way around. And five on each side and of the gates located around the southern, eastern, and the southern wall. In front of these chambers, there is a pavement extended to three sides of the area. Now, as you go inwards... The inner core where the priests minister in the altar. The measure is 100 cubits on each side, four square. 100 cubits, a cubit is about 18 inches. There's different cubits, but 18 is what they believe in the Bible. So 18 is a foot and a half. 100 feet, 100 cubits is 150 feet, okay? There are three gates, again, each directly opposite north. Is that the gates in the outer wall, 100 cubits within the outer wall, where access is gained into the inner core, one on the south, the other one on the east, and the other one on the north. The inner core area is elevated eight steps to the higher, to be higher than the outer court, okay? Because you're progressing into the Holy of Holies, okay? And it's much um, holier than that and the rest. Next to the north gate is the area, uh, there are eight tables for preparing sacrifices, as you can see there. Outside the inner court gate, there are chambers of the singers, the priests, the sons of Zadok, who minister to the altar. And the sons of Zadok are the, are the principal focus in the millennial temple, not the Levites. The inner court area houses the altar uh, to offer sacrifices before the temple. You see the center there. Now, the temple itself, uh, in chapter 40 of Ezekiel, verse 48 to chapter 42, verse 20, is given. The porch, the vestibule, the temple has two pillars and steps. Very detail of it. Um, this leads to the holy place, the area of 40 cubits by 20 cubits, and beyond it, the most holy of holies, 20 cubits by 20 cubits a square. Kind of like the Old Testament tabernacle of Moses, okay? You have 15 by 30, and then, um, then the perfect square for the holy of holies. Now the same thing except larger, different dimensions. But the pattern is in heaven, given to Moses. Now the millennial temple still has the same configuration, but the dimensions are far different, Okay. Beyond the, the holy place is the most holy place, a holy of holies, a, a cube. And surrounding the wall of the house, notice our chambers, three stories high, 
30 to a story. So on the edge, you have three stories high, and there's chambers all around it. Surrounding the wall, the house, these chambers are there. Now, the temple is surrounded by an area of 20 cubits by 100 cubits called the separate place, which surrounds the temple on all sides except the east gate where the porch is located. And so notice the intricacy of the temple. If it isn't a literal temple, why all the detail? Okay? First thing, there's only one of many things. The interior of the temple is described in great detail. You have panel woods that you have there. Um, you have palm trees, cherubims. The only article uh, of furniture described is the table of the altar of wood before the Lord, related to the showbread, symbolizing communion with the Lord in Ezekiel 41.20. Um, you have um, 41.22, and there's no mention of the ark when you go through these chapters. Mercy seat, veil, tables of stone, the, um, the cherubim above the mercy seat, nowhere. Okay, That was Old Testament for the wilderness, though we see it in heaven, but here is not there. There are two doors into the sanctuary with palm trees and cherubs as you move into the Holy of Holies. Some have um, used verse 20 of Ezekiel 42 to um, kind of solve the prophetic problem during the Antichrist day when he builds the temple. And they take verse 20 of Ezekiel 42 where it says the wall will be there to separate the common from the profane. Okay? The holy from the profane are common. But the only problem with that is that the context is millennial temple. So you cannot take verse 20 of Ezekiel 42 and use it to fulfill prophecy of the Antichrist in the tribulation period. It's completely out of context. Now, the two will stand side by side. What will they do? I don't know. But Revelation 11, 2 is very, very clear that they will stand side by side. Now, there's miscellaneous details. The glory of the Lord appears coming through the east gate in a vision as at the river Chebar that Ezekiel had. And he falls on his face there. And again, God's always telling Ezekiel to get off his face because he sees the glory of God. Ezekiel 43, 1 through 5, okay? Um, the description of the throne... The seat of God's authority is revealed to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 43, 6-12. The altar is given. The offering to be made is described. The east gate is to be shut till the prince enters by it and the glory of God fills the house in Ezekiel 44, 1-6. Now, the prince, some believe is Jesus, but if you examine it, it's probably David. Because, listen what it says, he will sit in it and eat bread before the Lord, 44.3 of Ezekiel. So, Jesus is not going to be sitting eating before himself. Remember the promise of David about the, he build you a house and he would sit on the throne of David? So, there are many verses within Ezekiel and other passages that Jesus cannot fulfill, they cannot be applied to him. And I believe they apply to David during the millennial kingdom. The priest ministry is outlined for us in 44, 9 through 31. Uh, the entire worship ritual is described. The temple area is a separate building on the west side there. 
to prepare the sacrifices, an area of four corners there where the preparation um, is performed. The vision of Ezekiel climaxes with description of the river that flows out of the sanctuary in Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12, flowing out to the Mediterranean Sea, healing the Dead Sea and the tree along the banks, bearing fruit every month for food, and the leaves are for medicine. Okay, that's during the thousand-year reign. After the thousand years of the white throne judgment, then there's the eternal state, right? Notice the difference now of the river in the eternal state, different from the one I just read you of the millennial. It says, in the eternal state, it says, the river proceeds from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the midst of the streets and on either side of the river was a tree of life which bore 12 fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month, the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22, 1-2. So you must make a distinction where this river is, and there's rivers all through the scripture, where they flowing from, where they for, the content is going to tell you whether it is um, during the millennial kingdom or the eternal state. In Genesis, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden in Genesis 2.9. In the eternal state, and there is no more curse there or death, it must represent some ongoing benefit for eternity for the overcomer that's promised in Revelation 2.7. The river comes from the temple. Ezekiel 47, 1 says, okay, this is the temple that will be during the millennial kingdom. Zechariah's river comes from Jerusalem to heal the Dead Sea and the flow of the Mediterranean Sea confirmed there with Ezekiel in Zechariah 14, 4 through 8. So the river will go from, from Jerusalem there um, and, and it'll, it'll go to the Dead Sea. Some of you have been down there. It was, it's drying up right now. You've got sinkholes in it. It's going to heal it. There'll be fish there, and the other one goes to the Mediterranean. Um, in Genesis, the rivers came out of Eden into four heads in Genesis 2.10. So we have from the beginning of time there in Genesis, these rivers, where they come from, and you see the same pattern all the way through. So the context will tell you where it is that they're from and what their effect is. Now, the purpose regarding the temple is important, and Ezekiel gives it to us, okay? So God gives Ezekiel all this thing, First of all, is to transmit the vision to Israel. Okay? Very important. Now, many people say that God is through with Israel. I reject that. You, it, it, it contours all your theology. Listen carefully. Ezekiel 40 verse 4 says, And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you, for you were brought here so that I might show them to you Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. Now, how can God be through with Israel if God is going to deal with Israel in the millennial kingdom? Impossible. Second, to provide a dwelling place for the divine glory. Ezekiel 43, 7 says, And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of my soul for my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel. Not the church, Israel. Forever. The thousand-year reign. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings, by their harlotries, or with the carcasses of their kings, or the high places. Thirdly, to demonstrate God's holiness in contrast to the idolatrous and rebellious nation. Listen carefully, Ezekiel 43.10. Son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure 
the pattern. Israel, Israel. Fourthly, to make sure they keep the entire revelation. 43 of Ezekiel, verse 11. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple and its arrangement, its its exits, its entrances, its entire design and all its ordinances, all its forms and all its laws, write it down in their sight so that they may keep its whole design and all its ordinance and perform them. Literal. Fifth, to perpetuate the memorial of sacrifice. Ezekiel forty-three, eighteen. And he said to me, Son of man, thus saith the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is made, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for sprinkling blood on it. We're going to see their memorial. In retrospect of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Six, to provide the center for the divine government. Ezekiel 44, verse 3 says the following. As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. The seventh and last is to provide victory over the curse. Ezekiel forty-seven twelve. Well, listen to him. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that side, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. This is all during the millennial kingdom. The comparison of the millennial temple to any other is like comparing a Model T to a Rolls Royce. This is the temple of temples. We're going to go on and we're going to see that if this temple was built today, it would not fit on Mount Moriah, the temple site. God's going to rearrange the topography. God's going to do some rearranging. The 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth... Is literal, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let nobody tell you that it is spiritual, it's figurative. Replacement theology is a contradiction to the kingdom age. God is not through with Israel. Do not confuse the church as a virgin bride looking for a wedding with the wife who has been married and divorced and put away by divorce. We are not spiritual Israel. We are the church, Jew and Gentile one, distinct. Jesus said to his disciples, Surely I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Literal, Jesus said. Jesus believed in the thousand-year reign. His disciples believed Jesus was going to set up the kingdom in his first coming. That was part of the problem. They were looking for a conquering Messiah. They never saw the suffering Messiah. It says, therefore, in Acts 1, 6, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It would be done in the second coming. Jesus returns in the second coming to set up the kingdom, and he will judge the nations prior to setting up the kingdom. 
Today, people teach kingdom theology, dominion theology. It is big. That the world's going to get better and better. And we're going to establish the kingdom. We're going to just get politicians in, in offices. And, you know, we're going to just one day, poof, be a Christian. The Bible doesn't teach that. If you believe that the church is Israel, you're misrepresenting the scriptures interpreting it. And if you believe the world's going to get better and better, you're missing the mark. It's going to affect, you're going to twist the scriptures. The majority of seminaries, Fuller, APU, and many others, and the church 99% teach that we the church are spiritual Israel. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. Listen to Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with clouds with every eye, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, the Jew. And all tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him, even so, amen. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world become the kings of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In fact, you know Jesus Christ told his disciples in Matthew 24 and 25 about the tribulation and great tribulation, and also what happened when he comes. 24 and 25 are, go together. Never separate them in Matthew. They're like peanut butter and jam, tacos and beans, and Twinkies. Okay? At the end of 24, Jesus has already come back. He rewards those who were faithfully waiting for him. That's the wise virgins. That's not the church. And then, the first thing he does is he gathers the nation to judge them. How does he judge them? He judges them how they treated the Jew during the tribulation period. You gave me a cup of water or you visited me in prison. When you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it unto me, brethren, the Jew. Context, Matthew 24, 25, Jewish ground. Very important. Listen to Matthew twenty-five thirty-two. All the nations will be gathered together uh, before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherds divide the sheep from the goats. He will decide what nations enter the kingdom age and which do not. So the temple is literal in the millennial uh, according to Jesus and the rest of Scripture. You can't get away from it. Secondly, let's look at the sacrifice during the millennial kingdom, which will clarify more the worship of Jesus. The sacrifice they're offered, some say that they are um, um, the Mosaic order. Uh, there, there are some similarities, there are some differences. Some of the similarities, there's a worship center in the altar, as you can see up there, where the blood is sprinkled and all. And there are uh, burnt offerings, sin offerings, and trespass offerings like there were in the Old Testament. And there the Levitic order under, is under the priests and the sons of Zadok, not the Levitical tribe of Aaron. And there are real offerings um, and rituals that go on. Uh, there's cleansing of the altar. Um, there are new moons and Sabbath days that are celebrated, morning sacrifices as in the Old Testament. And there will um, be also a perpetual inheritance to them. The Passover feast, uh, the year of Jubilee will also be there. Um, the priestly life, the dress, the substance is given, very de- detailed. And the temple where all the ministry takes place is, is the location of the glory of God. Very, very clear. Listen to Ezekiel 43, 4 through 5. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces towards the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You remember when Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8? The priests couldn't even minister. They got so full of the glory of God, they had to run out. Well, this will be much greater, but we'll be in a different form, in a different situation now. 
Now, there are also not only similarities, but there's differences as you go through Ezekiel. The dimensions of the temple, as I said, are neither Solomon's nor Zerubbabel's or Herod's. It wouldn't fit there on Mount Samari right now. And by the way, there's only been two temples. There's been Solomon's temple, and when it was destroyed, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah are part of the second temple. And Herod's temple is not a third temple. It is just a refurbishing and an enlarging of Ezra's temple. Okay? Then you have the Antichrist temple and the Millennial temple. All right? Now, the service of the Levitical order, as I said, is not mentioned only by the sons of Zadok, who remain faithful, remember, to David um, as they rebel against David going to Absalom and then Adonijah also. Zadok, the priest, remained faithful to David in 1 Kings chapter 1. Now, there is no ark of the covenant, no pot of manna, no rod of Aaron. There's no mercy seat, candelabra, the showbread, the veil. Uh, the veil declared man was unapproachable to God, but now there's none there. And the day of atonement, the priest would take it down and go into the Holy Holies once a year. Now it's not there. Uh, the measure of the altar, burnt offerings is given. The social and moral and civil law is given, but it's, not, it's absent in terms of comparisons to, to Moses. It's not there. The Feast of Pentecost is not mentioned. There are additions to the Levitical system, like the entrance to the glory of the Lord and the temple forever. The living water flows out of it. The tree of healing and the new um, uh, land is distributed as you go through that. The city is given a new name in Ezekiel 48.35. Here it is. Here's the name of the, of the city. Ready? It says, Yahweh Shama. The Lord is there. Physically, literally, ruling and reigning. Now, Jesus is in the midst of us. But he's not physically here. He's in heaven. Being God, he can be everywhere at the same time. But in the millennial, he's there literally. There is the person and ministry of the prince again that has royal and priestly privileges. Once again, I believe that will be fulfilled by David. You find Ezekiel 44, 3, 45, 7, and many, many others. Because they cannot speak of Jesus because it fulfills the worship of himself. It wouldn't do that. So it must be fulfilled with David. Now, the purpose of the sacrificial order is very, very clear. The sacrifice of the millennial cannot have any relationship to expiation. In other words, they're not going to offer sacrifice so their sins are to be forgiven by the animal. The atoning work of redemption was finished once and for all by Jesus Christ. Hebrews seven twenty-seven is very, very clear. Listen to what it says. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all. When he offered up himself. So the atoning work is done. The Old Testament sacrifices did not forgive sin by the way. They covered it. As an IOU pointing to the true payment to come. Hebrews 10.4 says. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats would take away sins. I used to work for Prana Market in the, in the mid 60s. And um that we had some customers that we knew very well and they would be able to run up a tab for the week and then at the end of the week they would come in and pay it. 
So when they would write something, just sign for it, and I would take that IOU. At the end of the night, I would just close out my books, and I would count those IOUs as cash, and my books would balance. And come Friday or Saturday, they would come in, give me the cash, I'd give them the IOUs, my books still balanced. But never for once did I ever believe that those pieces of paper I would use were real money. They were pointing to the true payment. That's the same thing with all the blood of bulls and goats. They were pointing to the true Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. Now, the sacrifices of the millennial will be then memorial in character. Because people ask, why are this happening? They're memorial in character. Because who's the kingdom for? For the church? No. The kingdom age is for Israel. That God would fulfill all the promises that he gave to David that have not been fulfilled. All the land, all the promises, all the exaltation. It's never been fulfilled completely. Simple. The Lord's Supper is a permanent memorial of his death. That salvation has been accomplished. We celebrate it. As we look back on the cross to those sacrifices, there will be a constant reminder of the redemptive price of Jesus Christ for Jew and Gentile. All will be commemorative of the majestic work of Jesus Christ um, in the amazing types and reality of himself. The difficulty comes when people mix the church who is glorified and reigning with Jesus and the earthly kingdom of Israel with the Gentile subordination to the Jews in the kingdom age. You have to separate them. You can't mix them. Okay? And so when you teach that the church is spiritual Israel and got us through with Israel, you do great violence to the scripture. Romans 9, 10, 11. What do you do with that passage? Three chapters. God is not through with Israel. He said, don't boast like, don't get cocky and boast. Let's see, cut them off. He'll cut you off also. Simple. The remnant. So, you must make a distinction. Otherwise, what's the kingdom for? It's for Israel, not the church. Israel is looking for an earthly kingdom. The church is looking for a heavenly kingdom and spiritual kingdom. Israel is a literal kingdom. On earth. A wife has been married. Put away by divorce. Virgin bride is looking for a wedding. Two distinctions. Every time you um, present a receipt or you hold a receipt, it means that you have fulfilled your obligation of debt. Anybody who tries to collect that debt again cannot do it if you have that evidence. The same thing with Jesus Christ. All these sacrifices are not in addition or to supplement. They're simply commemorative. Jesus is the receipt. He's done it all. He's fulfilled it all. Now, God speaks through no one but Jesus Christ today. We are living in an amoral society, a very cultural, relative, situational ethic of no absolutes today. Therefore, there is the pressure and there is the intimidation for you to be broader than the scriptures declare. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. It's a very narrow, narrow way. When people say you shouldn't judge, I mean, you, you say that Christians are the only ones to get to him because of Jesus. Yes, that's what the Bible teaches. I can't apologize for it and I won't. Listen to Hebrews 1, 
Verse 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the Father by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, though and through whom also he made the worlds. That's it. Spoke to the Father through the prophets, now Jesus Christ, period. That's it. How about Buddha? What about Buddha? He's in the grave. And anybody else? Muhammad, he's in the grave. Jesus rose from the dead. No one else. God the Father honors only the sacrifice of Jesus. Listen to 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours alone, but the whole world. Do you understand that statement? The word propitiation has to do with satisfying the wrath of God for sin. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only for us, the Christian, but the whole world. Therefore, if God gave the invitation to the whole world that can be saved by John 3.16, because he died for the whole world, then that means that every person before they die will have at least one opportunity. Where do you find that in Scripture? I don't. But because of the nature of God and the invitation, if he died for the whole world, then everybody has to have at least one chance. Because if one person doesn't have one chance, and he stands before Jesus, and Jesus said, why did you not accept me? They would have to say, you never gave me the chance. By knowing the character of God, and the nature of the gospel, and the nature of his death, everyone will be without excuse. Wow. Especially Americans. Our whole jurisprudence is based on the Christian Judeo scripture. All of it. Every monument in Washington has a scripture on it. Many of our documents are based on that. Our constitution is based on the very truth that our rights come inalienable rights from God, not government. Simple. The testimony in heaven confirms this truth. Listen to Revelation 5, 11 through 12. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creature and the elders and the number of them that was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Listen to this. This is the worship in heaven. Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, if that's the theme of heaven, that should be the theme here on earth in the church. And that's what will be the theme during the thousand year reign. And the new eternal state. Only Jesus. No one else. So, the meaning of the sacrifice of the, in the millennial are as a memorial of Jesus. Simple. Let's finish up thirdly with the covenant of the millennium. The millennial age will be different, uh, a different place as far as the earth is concerned. I've already implied it. But listen to Zechariah 14.4. The Lord will change the topography of the land. He says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. So Jesus comes back in the second coming. We're coming back with him. His foot stands on the Mount of Olives. Some of you have been there. We're sitting there on the Mount of Olives. It splits in two. One to the one side, the other one to the other. So the minute he comes, he starts rearranging the earth. All will come to Jerusalem. Isaiah 2.2, 2, listen. 
Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. Mountains are powers, authorities, the very top. And shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Notice how everything I'm giving you confirms our text in Zephaniah 2.11. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. Some people don't like that. Tough. The Feast of Tabernacle will be key. Listen to Zechariah 14, 16 through 17. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, because Jesus judged the nations, sheep from the goat, and those that pass go in, um, shall go up to Jerusalem, uh, that come up against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that well, whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. Simple. You don't want to come? No water. Wow. You said that's cruel. No, that's just the facts. Okay? It's not going to be a republic. It's not going to be a democracy. It, Jesus is ruling. He's changing the earth in many different ways. Not completely, because there's still going to be sin and death. But he's going to change the topography. This temple will fit in on Mount Moriah. But also the animal kingdom will be reverted to its prior fall. Isaiah 65, 25 says the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Uh, so the wolf won't be eating the lamb. Um, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be uh, the serpent's food. Wow, did you catch that? Every aspect of creation in the animal kingdom will be reverted back the way it was in Genesis. Except for the snake. Because it's the instrument of the fall. It will lead us all his days. Wow. He says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. A little boy will lead a lion with a lamb, right? Wow. The millennial age will be the fulfillment of the new covenant to Israel, according to the prophets. Again, it's looking for an earthly kingdom, Israel. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 confirms this. Listen carefully. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not the church. The millennial kingdom. What do you do with these Christians? You just explain them away? You spiritualize them? You remove them, put the church in there? That's exactly what they do. The Bible says, don't add, don't take away from my word. Wow. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Listen carefully. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The thousand year reign, the millennium. He goes on, moreover, no, I'm, I'm sorry, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Right now Israel has no basis for the forgiveness of sin. The last sacrifice made was in 70 A.D. There's been no temple. There is no temple. There's never been a sacrifice. 
The Antichrist will reinstate that, but that's not where we're, the millennial kingdom. That's a great tribulation. Joel declares this new covenant to be the outpouring of God's spirit. Listen to Joel 2, 28 and 29. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. This began in the day of Pentecost. Remember Peter quoted it? Short term, day of Pentecost. Long term, tribulation period. Long, long term, the millennial kingdom. So prophecy has usually a twofold, short term, long term, but it can have an extended one as we have here for the millennial kingdom. And also, on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on those days. So it continues from the tribulation, great tribulation, into the millennial kingdom. Very, very clear. Now, Ezekiel confirms both Jeremiah and Joel in the new covenant. And see, you let scripture interpret scripture. You don't manipulate scripture. And the context is always important. Listen carefully. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 32 says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Israel. The church is already with Jesus glorified. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgment and do them. We just saw Jeremiah 31. That it would be Israel. Here it is. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You should be my people. I will be your God. So it's in fulfillment of all promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The land. Are you looking for land? I'm not looking for land. Israel's looking for land. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. That's literal. You and I are glorified. We're not going to need that type of food. We're glorified. The people living through the millennial kingdom live and die just like you and I now. They have to be born again just like you and I do. Satan is bound for those thousand years. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Because God brought famine to judge Israel many times before the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Listen carefully to the last verse 32. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. They will see their unworthiness, but the love and grace of God. And you understand this, so do I. That you and I do not deserve forgiveness or the grace. And we see what God has done for us in the prison of Christ and forgiven us. Then we love him the more, right? Wow. The worship will be of no one except Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah 66, 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, 
And from the Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Me, Jesus Christ, in Jerusalem. Jeremiah declares, 50 verse 5. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces towards us, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten, Israel. Ezekiel tells us, Ezekiel 20, verse 40 through 41. For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, not the church, all of them in the land shall serve me. There I will accept them and there I will require your offerings, your first fruits of your sacrifice together with all your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will be hollowed in you before the Lord. God will gather him from the four corners of the earth, right? Now, do you realize there's a great movement today of people who believe the earth is flat? Go on the internet. A lot of them are Christians. They say they're Christians. And they use scripture like the four corners of the earth. Their head square. Flat. My Lord, how ignorance. Listen to Micah. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow to it. Many nations. There's our text in Zephaniah. Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and he, we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Not Hollywood, not Burbank, not Russia, not England. Jerusalem. Listen to Zechariah, lastly. Chapter 8, Zechariah, verse 20 through 22. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and many nations, plural, shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. What is it that we don't understand? About the millennial kingdom. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. During the millennial kingdom. Oranges, tangerines, bananas. They're all fruit. But they're different kinds of fruit. You must distinguish the covenant of the millennial. From the covenants of the old and the new. It's fulfilled in the nation of Israel. Wow. Wow. The kingdom is spiritual in character, but yet physical in its fulfillment in many of its functions. It is eternal in nature and is the proclamation of both the Old and the New Testament. The kingdom of God is present now in the church age, but yet to come in its final form of the thousand years. The kingdom is present, but yet to come. Kind of like an eclipse when it hits here. Jesus came the first time, they met. And it's progressing, the second coming, when it's completely eclipsed, the millennial kingdom. So it's present yet to come. The church is not the kingdom, but part of the kingdom. So those people who are teaching dominion theology, kingdom theology, let's take back territory, let's bind the enemy, let's get Christians into office, and the world's going to get better and better and better. They're smoking crack. Bible doesn't teach that. 
You think the world's getting better? We, we have a certain advance in technology. But it's not getting better. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus will bring the kingdom and establish the kingdom. We will return with him and set up the kingdom with Jesus. But he sets it up, not us. The government of the kingdom will be headed up by Jesus himself, probably through the agency of David, delegation through uh, sub-rulers and appointed magistrates and administrators. As you go through the scriptures, you see that. And again, Jerusalem is going to be the capital. In fact, when Jesus was his disciples, remember they saw him pray and they were impressed with his prayer. And they came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, Pray after this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. What did he say? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom, when it comes, it's on earth. And his will be done as it is now in heaven. We are not looking for an earthly kingdom. We are looking for a spiritual kingdom. We're going to be glorified with Jesus, literally. We will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Israel will occupy all of its land. Israel will be served by the Gentile world. Jesus and David will be on the throne. It's going to be an incredible, incredible time. So the covenant of the millennial is this thing from the old and the new, but it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ as he is faithful in the promises that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel. Not the church. We're ruling and reigning with him. Now, if you eliminate Israel as the fulfillment of this and you spiritualize it and you believe in replacement theology, pray tell, what do you do with those scriptures? You just ignore them? No, they don't ignore them. They just scratch out Israel and they put the church. Do you know how horrible that is? Three times, do not add, do not take away. Deuteronomy, Proverbs, and the book of Revelation. Don't mess with God. You can mess with anything in this life. Do not mess with this word. At all. It's like going target shooting. Rather than shooting at the bullseye, you think the bullseye is on the right-hand corner. And every time you hit the corner, you think you got a bullseye. You are so far off the wall. You're not even close to the bullseye. There will be a literal millennial kingdom. Jesus will rule and reign on the earth. The worship will be of Jesus. And these three things have given the evidence of that. The temple of the millennial, the sacrifice of the millennial, and the covenant of the millennial. Wow. Can't wait going to be an incredible, incredible day. And as I look around, you must look up. Your redemption draws near. It's closer than when you first believed. I believed in Christ 42 years ago. I'm 42 years closer. I'm not disappointed. I'm looking with more passion. But as you're waiting, you occupy till he comes. Do not forsake the gathering of the saints. Do not be deceived and pulled into flaky churches that are going to tell you how good you are. Listen, let me tell you how good you are. You're good for nothing. Except for sin. That's what the Bible says. Let's get over it. Let's get on with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and your goodness. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, we pray that you continue to deal with our hearts. 
Lord, we pray for those that are here that perhaps do not know you, have never accepted you, Lord, repent of their sins. For those over the internet and the radio, you will speak to them. As you're praying, if you're over the internet or maybe the radio, and if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if you see yourself as a sinner, that's the grace of God. You can call upon him right now and he will save you. He'll forgive you and cast your sins as far as east of the west. He will give you eternal life by grace through faith. If this is the case, this is your prayer to him. Not to us, but to him. And he's going to forgive you and save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, we want to...